0: Well guys, last week we talked about community from, right? Last week we talked about creation and creation story is not so much about God just creating people to rule over them. No, in fact, God created us from the community that he was already in with the word and the spirit. Well, today we're going to get in the second part of long story short. And we're going to talk about probably one of the most important messages I'll probably ever share with you because I think it's going to produce an immense amount of freedom in your life if you really let it hit you right in the heart, okay? Let me pray for you, then we'll do this. Father, I pray that you add your blessing to your word. Let every person that has ears, as your word say, let he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church so that we can know you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, again, last week we talked about uh, creation. From this one we're going to talk about the fall. Here's what I want us to do, though. I want us to go to go ahead to go to Genesis chapter two, and I'm going to stick with my notes here for scripture purposes. Okay. So here's what happens in Genesis two. God makes this person named Adam. It's the word Adama, the word for dust, out of the Hebrew, and it's how God begins to form Adam. Okay. And He begins to form Adam in this sin-free world. The word sin here is going to be very very key to this message because it's going to jack you up when you realize what all of that means and how it does not apply to your life in a lot of ways I'm telling you you're going to be excited about this okay see Adam doesn't do well in this world though and so God comes around and he says you know what he makes this declaration in Genesis 2 it's not good for man to be alone it's not good for man to be alone so the Lord God's caused Adam to uh, cause a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the womb of man or out of man. You see, this is why a man leaves his father and mother, and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve, or Adam and his wife, were both naked, hear me, and they felt no shame. They were naked and felt no shame. That right there is a month of preaching in itself. What a stinking beautiful life. To be completely naked in front of one another and feel no shame. Now, I know that sounds a little weird when I say completely naked in front of another. I'm not supporting the next nudist colony. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there was something raw and real about being in front of God completely naked saying and, and having no idea that there was anything wrong with my nakedness, with my vulnerability, with everything about me, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could live that life of faith right now now again i want you to keep your clothes on but what if our mind can be clothed in something different where no shame ever controls your life where you never have to make another decision or walk into another room where you might have been embarrassed before and feel shame well why does this happen well before we do that i want to take you back (laughs) to his story that most of us have in middle school. Did you ever have that dream in middle school where you walk into class and you're naked or not wearing pants in front of the entire middle school class or in front of the lunchroom? Did you ever have that dream? I had that dream. And you know what I think about as an adult now? I thought, why did my parents allow me to leave the house with no pants on? Because I couldn't drive there myself, right? So in my mind, I've got these white tube socks on all the way up to my knees, maybe a t-shirt with no pants, and this is how shame really feels. It's not just embarrassment. It's utter shame. But again, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Something happened to man in that garden in Genesis in the Garden of Eden that brought about shame for the nakedness. You see, we were meant to experience relationship with God, people in our world without pretense, without makeup, without any shame. That's what a naked community, again, figuratively speaking, is all about. But hear me, this is what the fall is actually about. It's not about sin. You go, but man sinned against God. Wrong. The fall of humanity really should be entitled something completely different. You know what it should be entitled? Man's loss of identity. You see, the fall doesn't mean sin. The portion of scripture again should be called man's loss of identity. How do we know this? Well, how do we know that it's not about sin? Well, you got to keep in mind the concept of sin doesn't even come into play in the scripture. Until after man falls. You go after man, but that means he fell. No, no, no. It doesn't come into scripture until Genesis chapter 4 when Cain kills Abel. So let's back up just a little bit, okay? I want you to lean in with me here. Let's back up just a little bit. So here's what happens. God creates man. Man chooses to disobey God's command. We're going to get to that in just a moment because you might say, but Matt, that is sin. Mm. Hang tight with me, okay? But then, here's something that happens. It's not until Cain kills his brother Abel that the word sin is mentioned. Until the description for sin. He told Cain, he said, sin is crouching at your door and wanting to take your life. As you know, a few weeks ago I talked about the beast in Bible study. What is crouching at the door? The beast called sin. And it's wanting to ravage your life. But this, in itself, was not about the word sin. It had something grander. It had something more lofty. It had something a lot bigger to do with what God was doing in the garden. And it had little to do with the word that we've made huge called sin. So I want to pose the question to you. Could it be, hear me, could it be that sin became a reality for man after he mistreated his brother? Could it be that how we treat our neighbor determines if we have sinned or not? You go, Matt. that's that's a little crazy out there. Well, well, in fact, this is the greatest commandment. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Six out of the ten commandments were on how to treat somebody else. Sixty percent was on how to treat your neighbor the other one the other four were how to treat and relate to God so no wonder why he left us with two new Commandments instead of 10 old ones love God and love your neighbor as yourself so it wasn't sin that caused man to eat the fruit It was when man believed a lie about the nature and the heart of God for his creation. Did God really say the serpent beguiled? In other words, if God really cared about you, he would want you to know what God knows. He would want you to have the same power that he has. What is he withholding from you? this is not at all what God desires and I love how the enemy starts using God's own words against him and it reminded me of Romans 1134 1134 that says who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor how could the enemy know what God was thinking but he took a concept and twisted it so that man would disbelieve okay I'm gonna I got a parallel park here this is not in my notes but I need you to hear me okay Sin does not separate you from God. That is a lie from hell. The only thing that separates you or this entire globe from God is unbelief. It's when I choose to say... I refuse to believe in what you have done for me and this world. That in of itself is separation. Jesus already took care of your sin on the cross when he said it is finished. It was accomplished. So your sin is not the issue. It's the unbelief and this is exactly what happens in the garden they did not believe God's command that if you do this you shall die and we see a spiritual death took place in their life that is the fall of man now we're just getting to the good part okay so the best way that I can teach you about the realities of the fall is to break it into four parts okay now I always like to use a little bit of an illustration okay we're gonna break this into four parts god's image and i can't count it's three parts my apologies god's image god's intention and god's idea god's image he said let us that's the triune godhead the trinity let us father word and spirit in the new testament father son and holy spirit let us make man in our come on y'all say it, y'all we've got a little audience back here now image right it's the image that word image translated in the Septuagint in the greek is iconia iconia meaning it's an icon And it's basically what would happen when Jesus would be confronted in the New Testament when they they would say to Jesus, "Uh, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he said, well, give me a coin. He said, give me a coin. He said, whose image do you see on that coin? And they said, well, we see Caesar's image. He said, yes, so render under Caesar what is Caesar's, but render under God what is God's. See, we always think that it's about paying taxes, but you know what he was saying? Whosever image is on you, render under him render unto him what he deserves guess whose image the icon has been put into your life god put his image his iconia his icon on you and it is an unstained Untainted image of who he is so when we talk about the fall of humanity we're not talking about a man who sinned we're talking about a person who lost their icon who lost the image of God in the earth so the fall should be titled man losing his identity man losing the image of God. But here's the deal. Oh, oh, I can't get ahead of myself. I'll get too excited, okay? So, it's when we lose our freedom and our identity. So the fall of man had very little to do with eating forbidden fruit and all to do with the loss of God's untarnished image in the earth. Again, the word sin didn't show up until after all this happened, until Cain killed Abel. You see, church, We get caught up on what people do rather than who people are. We get messed up over where they have been rather than where God is taking them. And it's amazing to me how many psychics we have in the church. Because we already know they ain't ever going to be nothing. It's like Paul said... Be careful what you say and do, I'm paraphrasing, because you too might fall into that same mess. You see, remember, just because you do not see it, does not mean God is not working it. Just because I don't see His image in other people does not mean he's not rebranding that person in their heart, writing something new on that fleshly heart. What if he's chipping away at the stony heart and having to rewrite some things because all hell has broken through and broken into their lives? He's reestablishing his iconia. He's reestablishing his icon, which is his image in the earth. So... We see people's behavior, hear me, not their identity. We see people's behavior, but not their identity. And then what we do, we say, well, their identity must be their behavior. If that's true, you and I are in real big trouble. So the image of the world is cast on them like a shadow rather than the image of the Spirit casting the image of God on their lives. See, this is why we treat people less than what God requires. In fact, I would like to ask you a question that I've heard Andy Stanley ask, and he asks it the best. When it comes to people around you, we must ask this question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? somewhere along the way we went from running after reclaiming god's image in the earth to getting people to learn how to behave properly (laughs) we can't even make ourselves behave right sometimes but we've got some weird crusade that we're on to get other people to behave properly and he's saying if you will stop worrying about their behavior and start living out my image in front of them maybe they can reflect what they see in you hear this you will always become what you behold so if someone can behold the image of God in you they can then experience the God in you So how do we get back the image into the earth? How do we get that back? I mean, he is already here, right? Jesus is the image of God. And since we are submitted to Christ and he lives in us, we are the image bearers. Again, the iconia once again in the earth. That's God's image. But next I want to take you to what I call God's intention. What was God's intention with all of this? And this to me is probably the most important part of this message. God's intention was protection for man. When he told Adam and Eve, he said, listen, I don't want you to eat of that particular tree. And just for the debate's sake, this is kind of a rabbit trail. For for eons of history, we've always thought it was an apple or it's been symbolized as an apple. I want to throw another an idea out at you. It was probably figs. Why? Because that's the leaves that they've sewed up together to hide themselves when God did fight, did come walking in the cool of the garden. And it's also the type of plant or tree uh, that, God, that Jesus would curse when it come to Israel, when they would not return and repent to him. Jesus cursed that as a symbol. So again, that's just a little Bible history lesson. Now we'll get right back on track, okay? Now... When God told them, you can eat of anything in this entire place here, right? He would then say, but I don't want you to touch that one. That was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, come on, come on now. In other words, I don't want you to ever carry the burden of being the judge. I don't want you to ever carry the burden of having to decide what is right or wrong in your life and especially someone else's. You see, there's only one righteous judge and his name is Jesus. In fact, God is so committed to Jesus being that righteous judge that Jesus will judge at the end of the age. So when God was saying, I don't want you to touch that tree, it's not because he was withholding something from us. He did not want you and I to be the people that would sit in judgment at any time in our life to experience it for ourselves or to to, to put it on someone else. God simply wanted you and I and still does want you and I to live in freedom from judgment and shame he does not want the weight of his judgment to be placed in your hand to give to another see you and i cannot bear the weight of that crown we cannot pay the price for that sum but pastor i thought you said that the fall was not about sin because you're saying pay the price of that sum pay the price for that sin you are correct but guess what happens to humans when they forget who they are, they sin. They miss the mark, they rebel, they become a god unto themselves, they hate, they they they, they experience racism, they and a, they alienate those who are not like them, they shack up with somebody else's wife. They find enjoyment in everything, fulfillment in everything but in Christ. Because when we forget that we are the icon, that we are the image bearers. We fall into the pit of sin because we've forgotten that we are more than what we've been made to feel that we are in this life. So God is restoring his icon in you. You, one of the corniest church things I've ever heard. But, my, but Mama Corn says it a lot. If you don't know Mama Corn, you'll get to know her soon. But she always said this little statement, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. One of the corniest things in the world, but you know what, it's true, because that would be the icon. That would be the image. So we got God's image, God's intention, and now God's idea. What is God's idea? The word for word here is logos or logos. And we see this echoed in John 1 where the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld him when we beheld his glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was the logos. That word there. Is translated idea. I like to say it like this. Jesus was God's greatest idea. Idea. It also means imagination. Watch this. Watch this now. Imagination. His image or His image nation. His imagination. His image nation. It was Israel and then it was the church. This is what God's image was supposed to be like. His image was supposed to invade earth through Israel. When Israel rejected the Messiah, he raised up the church to bear his image again. So it wouldn't be about a fall into sin. It's about a fall from his image, from his icon, from his image in this earth. But he calls the church, Church, will you bear my image once again in the earth? Will you bear my image so that when... People see you, they can see a God that they can walk with in the cool of the day, the same way that I walked with Adam in the garden. So, next week we're going to dig in to Israel. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be one of the, the toughest ones we do because how interesting is that? You'd be surprised at how interesting Israel is in relation to my life and your life. Well, as I wrap up today, I want to ask you this. Do you know whether or not you have his image in your life? Are you carrying his image? And if not, I want to ask you to talk to God about that. I would like to, you know, I could tell you to pray some sinner's prayer that we've made up. It's not even in the Bible. You know, some of that stuff is so religious to me. I just go, why do we even... Why don't we even do this? And I get it. I guess maybe some people need that to kind of push them along. But here's the truth. When you really need God, you'll call on him. When you really come to a place in your life where you're going to, you know what? I'm not going to live like this anymore. I don't even want to. I don't want to be in a place of disbelief anymore. You'll call on him. And I would love to hear from you if you do. I would love for you to email me matt at thetablechurch.cc. Let us know about that. And so this week, when you're out and about doing your thing when you're on the phone with people, when you're on conference calls at work, when you're on a Zoom meeting with your office, whatever you're doing, be reminded that through that camera, just like this one, there's an image being cast. And I wanna remind you one thing that God said about the creation of man that he didn't say about any other thing he created. God would go through the plants, the animals, the firmaments, meaning the skies, and the earth to see everything, and he would say, "And God saw it, and it was good." You know when he got to man, he said he created man, and it was very good. You are very good because you are the image of God in the earth. You. You may have been told by your parents, by an uncle, an aunt, by a teacher, by a coach, that you were worthless, that you were, hear me, you are very, very. But Matt, you don't know how bad I am. I don't have to know how bad you are. All I know is you've been created in the image of God for an eternal purpose. Let me pray for you today. So, Father, I do ask that you would reveal your image to us even more and more. And I pray that we would look at this story of the Bible as not some weird hierarchy where we have this this God who sits up high and looks down low on lowly peasant people, but rather remind people that when you created us, you did not create us for a fall. You created us for a rising.